fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode number 40, and we have a very packed show. Um, Josh, how you doing tonight, first off? I'm chilling like a villain, man. I just I moved into my new apartment this past weekend, so this will be the first show in the new apartment. Um, but yeah, man, it's been, I've been chilling today. I, I felt good enough to go to training and actually was able to go a hundred percent. So in terms of overall free. connection, you sound a lot better. Yeah. Um, I've got my own Wi-Fi, and it seemed <laughs> so fun fact, they gave me the option. They're like, Hey, for no price difference, do you want to a have just like a regular connection? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, regular. Um, or do you want the 5G option? And I was like, um, hmm, I wonder. I was like, and you say there's no price difference? No. All right, well, that's an easy choice for me. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, so I'm, I'm rocking that 5G Wi-Fi right now. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, we've got a buttload of news and a fantastic discussion today where Josh and I will be ranking the cinematic Spider-Man movies that have come out so far. So the Tobey Maguire, the Andrew Garfield, the um, Tom Holland ones, and Spider-Verse. We will include Spider-Verse for this ranking, and I can already guess ahead of time that Josh and I are going to have drastically different rankings of the, these movies. I'm super excited to talk about that. Super excited to talk about our movie news. But before we get into that, uh, I kind of want to go over something real quick. Uh, this past weekend, I saw Toy Story 4, and I put up the review yeah. on the main channel of this. Uh, without delving too deep into spoilers, I would just sum it up as this. of Toy Story 3 did end the franchise perfectly. This movie does not need to exist. That being said, I'm really, really happy that it does. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean... From everything that I heard, everyone said it was really good. Um, I heard somebody say that it was um, the weakest of the four, but it is by far that's and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It, like it still holds up to the like to the level of all of them. It's just the only to see it a few more times. But I actually put it as my second favorite in the series behind the first one. Okay. Um, okay. But again, it could all just depend on the day. They're all fantastic. The, my only real gripe is that if you go into the movie wanting the original crew, like Buzz, Jesse, um, RC, Rex, the Potato Heads, you're going to kind of miss out. It's very much a Woody-focused movie, which is great, as well as introducing some great new characters. But if you go in for the old characters, you might be a little disappointed. It would be a bigger deal had the new characters not been fantastic. Key and Peele, as to be expected, were great. But the real show stealer for me was big shock here. Keanu Reeves at Duke Kaboom. This man was amazing. And as soon as the movie ended, I leaned over to Heather and was like, I'm going to need a Duke Kaboom toy of some kind. Well, that's good, man. I mean, I, I, I saw somewhere, uh, some I think it was Time Magazine, is trying to make Keanu Reeves the man, uh, the man no, of no, the year. No, uh, no, flip that. Fans are trying to convince Time to make him man of the year. Got it. Okay. Either way, that's awesome because he totally deserves it at this point. Also, um, there's stuff in the credits like they did with Toy Story 2 with the bloopers and stuff of like just oh, yeah. fun stuff for the audience. So I'd say go just for that because they poke fun at Keanu for something. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting it at all. So when it happens of Ducky and Bunny telling some story, 
and something happens, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's a thing that Keanu is known for. Great job, guys. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, I'd highly recommend Toy Story 4. That's assuming you're not seeing Avengers Endgame again. Segway. <laughs> so, Avengers Endgame is less than 40 million away from breaking Avatar's record for the highest grossing film of all time. It's already beat it domestically, but it hasn't beaten it internationally. It's not going to catch up to the number one movie domestically. That's Force Awakens with over a billion just in the U.S. Um, so, Avengers is trying one last ditch effort, um, basically. People are calling it a re-release, but that's not entirely true because the movie hasn't been out of theaters to be re-released in. Or people are also saying it's an extended cut of Endgame, which is also not true. So what's happening is Marvel is um, introducing a new version or a new viewing experience. That's what I'll call it. A new viewing experience opportunity for Endgame of the movie. after you, If you see after uh, the 28th of June, you will get a introduction by the Russo brothers, more or less introducing the film. You'll get it just how it was, no deleted scenes or anything. Then when the movie's done, you'll get a special deleted scene, which the speculation right now is it's a scene involving the Hulk. Uh, there supposedly is going to be a tribute video of some kind, probably to Stan Lee, who passed away in November, um, yeah. and then some other quote-unquote surprises. So probably a gag reel of some kind, some form of bloopers, or maybe a look back at the franchise. Um, then lastly, there's a special sneak peek at Far From Home, which comes out just a couple days later. This is blatantly an attempt to, uh, try and pass Avatar as the number one movie of all time. That being said, if you're this close, go for it, Endgame. I mean, my, what is it? Like you said, 40 million and that's it? Yeah. Easy. I don't know. I don't know if, there, if there's enough content here that's going to entice people to go back for that extra $40 million. That being said, I will absolutely try my best to get to the theater one more time to see this, if nothing else, just to knock Avatar off its perch, because I hate that movie. Well, exactly. And I, I think that that's the big thing, is that, uh, honestly, Avatar doesn't deserve to be where it, where it is. And, you know, let's just let's knock it out of the perch, I guess. I mean... At the same time, like, what was it? Uh, I think Dark Dark Phoenix is being pulled, so you got to fill that spot with something, right? Uh, far from home, probably. Well, yeah, but, I mean, I would assume, yeah, maybe, I guess. I, 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 my thought process was pull Dark Phoenix, put in more, like, another week or maybe another month of, Avenger, of, of Endgame and and then add Far From Home on top of it. I think it's still going to be a bit, bit of a challenge for them to beat Avatar, and even if they do, it'll be just barely. But either way, we cannot take away from the accomplishment and the year that Endgame has had. We're definitely going to be off on our box office predictions. There's no way Lion King beats Endgame. Nothing's even getting close. Um, there's also know, some dude. speculation going around that one of the fun things that'll be at the end of Endgame is, is his name Lewis from Ant-Man? Oh, are you talking? Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy that, that does, like, the, the recaps? Yeah, there's talk that he will recap the entire MCU. Oh, no. That actually would be 
I have mixed feelings about that, but you know, I mean, I I would prefer not to have to pay. You would totally bucks. go to the theater just to see Lewis I recap all of the MCU. I mean, I guess sure. And then I've also heard, or this may be just an idea that someone pitched that when he gets the Incredible Hulk, he's just like, nah, and just skips over it entirely. Yes. Because Incredible Hulk, they only kind of have the rights to. Yeah. Because it's a universal movie, technically. It's technically super weird, speaking. legally speaking. Yeah, it's um, only But yeah, Endgame, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, but I'm, I just love it because of all the memes of just like, um, Avatar's never beat me. Yes, it has. Well, it's never beat me twice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. It's it just it deserves it's such a way better movie than Avatar, and deserves to be at that spot. Oh, absolutely. Um. So last week we reported that, well, we delivered in the news. It wasn't our thing to be like we reported it first. Um, we talked about that there was some Spider-Man announcement that came out with this mysterious countdown starting at four, then three, two, one. To a big reveal. I'm not going to lie. I was more than a little disappointed. Not that the news itself was is disappointing. But they hyped it up so much. And it kind of ends up being nothing. So what the reveal and the countdown was leading up to. Is J.J. Abrams. The guy behind uh, Force Awakens. Rise of Skywalker. The Star Trek movies. At least the first two of the newer timeline. Um, super 8. Super well known guy. He and his son, Henry Abrams, are writing a Spider-Man limited series in for uh, Marvel. And they're introducing a new villain and everything. It's a limited run, only like six issues. Had this just been announced on its own, just like on a random Friday of, hey guys, J.J. Abrams, the director of two Star Wars movies, he and his son, who looks like a mini-me version of J.J. Abrams, it's kind of freaky, um... They're writing a Spider-Man comic. I think I'd be super excited for that. I don't think the countdown helped this at all, though. Because it built up in fans' minds something bigger than it actually was. Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of, in in my opinion, maybe a little disappointing that it's a comic thing with J.J. Abrams. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I can get on board. Like, J.J.'s a really good storyteller, and I think it's a really... I'm more just like, that's a cool thing that you and your son can share together that, hey, you wrote a Spider-Man comic together. But I have so many questions now of, okay, if you aren't intending to do anything, like you started with the four and led people to think maybe you're doing Spider-Man 4 with Tobey Maguire as a comic or something Fantastic Four related... Why did you start the countdown with four then? Did your intern or something just forget to start the countdown at five a day earlier? Why did you start a countdown at four? Yeah, that's such an awkward number to start at. And just, I don't know. It, if it was a thing that got announced on its own, I think it would be a really cool announcement. But the general consensus that I saw online was when this got announced, everyone was like, oh, okay. Just yeah, nothingness. And I think that was about that was about how our reaction is. I mean, I'm excited to see 
what J.J. Abrams will bring to a comic book. It'll be interesting, to say the least. And um, I'm interested to see what kind of new villain they, they're going to do. I just hope it's not an Arkham Knight situation where they're like, we got a new villain, when it's really not a new villain. Oh, man. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Every once in a while, that can work. But not in the case of Arkham Knight, especially. But now I'm worried that that's going to happen. <laughs> I think the big thing is J.J. Abrams is creative enough to not let that happen. Yeah, so, and if nothing else, it's just a limited run. It's only six issues starting exactly. in September, I believe. I'm more excited for uh, Phantasm, but that's a whole sign, sign tangent in the world of Batman. Yeah. But speaking of Batman, we have some news, reportedly, um, from the Matt Reeves standalone Batman movie, which has more or less kind of been quiet on the home front, but we may have some good news, and that is that um, composer Michael Giacchino may be the one doing the music for the Batman, which offhandedly, when I first thought about this, I was like, that's a weird pick because Giacchino has a lot of different styles, but more or less, it's typically a lot of... off. When I first heard his name, I think of his music as more upbeat and fun. I was first introduced to the music of Michael Giacchino through the first Incredibles movie in 2003, 2004... Uh, he did the music for The Incredibles, but he also did the music for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, um, Incredibles 2. I think um, we talked about Star Trek and the, yes. the, the, the two, both of the new Spider-Man films as well. Yeah, uh, both Spider-Man movies. So the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, he's actually got quite a bit of range. He's really good. I Maybe I'm just too attached to the Hans Zimmer music from the Dark Knight trilogy or um, or even Danny Elfman's score. But I don't know. I just didn't think Danny, uh, Michael Giacchino. That being said, sure. I love the Spider-Man soundtrack, the Spider-Man Homecoming soundtrack. He did a really good cover of the Spider-Man theme. I like the Star Trek music a lot. I'm just curious to see what he's going to bring to the table for this. Well, and to be fair, like a part of me wouldn't mind a quote-unquote more upbeat Batman score. You know what I mean? Like, maybe not, like, bouncy and fun like The Incredibles, but... Or like Danny Elfman. Yeah, yeah, not to that extreme, but definitely a little bit something better than the one we got in the Zack Snyder films. And as much as I love them, maybe a little bit more, like, more fun than the Dark Knight trilogy. Maybe this is just me as a fan saying this because I will always scream this movie's praises. But musically, I kind of want him to take inspiration from Mask of the Phantasm. I can see that. Because Mask uh, of the Phantasm, I think, has phenomenal music for a Batman movie. What's a, what's a non-comic book film that you could see uh, you, them using that style? Hmm. So I'm thinking maybe... Mm. For music? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I don't know. I, mean, I just, I think it'll bring a I don't want something approach. super intense. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Stuff for Batman v Superman was super intense, like very bass heavy and... Mm. I want something, like, slower and methodical. Maybe more string-based. 
Yeah, very, very detective-like. Yes, analytical music. Like, exactly, um, but like... Not fully, he, like, discombobulate from Sherlock Holmes, but something kind of akin to that? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I can see, I can hear it now of, like, um, spikes of... Uh, like, I can hear the music in my head of him swing, like, if they do have him, like, grappling through the city. Of just the dun, 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 like just like something f- more fun than what we got in the Snyder films to really differentiate it from Ben Affleck's Batman outside of the look and the fact that Robert Pattinson is playing him. One thing I'm actually now that I think about it, what he what Michael Giacchino really strives and excels at is reworking classic themes. Of you got the original Star Trek theme several times in the new Star Trek trilogy. He does a great version of the Spider-Man theme for Spider-Man Homecoming, which needs to be even more in Far From Home. Maybe he can do a reworked or a different interpretation of Danny Elfman's classic Batman theme. Or even the uh, Batman animated animated theme. Oh, gosh. If they played the Batman animated series music, oh, I'm in. Just done. Game over. Best Batman movie ever. Oh, absolutely. I could, and you know what? Given his track record, I could totally see him doing that. Yep. Kevin Conroy and cameos really, like, in that's some almost way. Like, that's almost exactly the kind of tone they might need to go with this. That, yeah, think, now that you say it, musically, that fits his style really well, actually. Yeah. And just the kind of Batman I feel like Robert is going to play, I feel like that would work really well. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, either last week or the week before, I can't remember which, we talked about Onward, and that really didn't make us super excited. Um, we actually have our next Pixar one very, very quickly after that with Soul coming June 19th, 2020. And immediately I'm more interested in this one. Well, this has like a... Um because I, I knew nothing about it, so I kind of like did a quick little research earlier today. Um, this has like the same kind of feel and appeal that uh, oh man, what was it called? The uh, the movie about emotions. Um, Inside Out. Inside Out. It has the same feel and and appeal as that, as far as the description goes. Yeah, it's like existential, but isn't it also somewhat space? Like yeah, it's exploring it's the about, wonders like, of the cosmos. Yeah, it was, and something about like the life's biggest questions or something. And honestly, that dude, if Pixar can keep doing that kind of stuff, because Inside Out was incredible and extremely smart. So like, I, I by all means, man, go go that direction. But it's just interesting to see the two concepts coming out right now that are the, from Pixar in um, uh, what is it, Onward. Or uh, and soul, like the, they're just can two very big projects, but one feels really lame and the other feels really interesting. Yeah, keep in mind we haven't seen a trailer for it yet. The th- biggest takeaway for me, honestly, is how quickly this is coming out after Onward. Yes. Also, this it is almost, really soon. It's like a year away. Yeah, it almost feels like damage control, but at the same time, I mean. Why not? Like, if you feel like you have a really good product that's about to come out, like, yeah, like, market that stuff. Yeah, we've had years where more than one Pixar movie came out. Um, 
wasn't it like last year or two years ago that Incredibles 2 and Good Dinosaur or Good Dinosaur came out the same year or something else? Like Good Dinosaur and Finding Dory? Yeah, I think it was Good Dinosaur and Finding Dory was like a month or a couple months later. Yeah, yeah it used to be like one Pixar movie every couple of years, but now it's like at least one, maybe two a year. Yes. So which long is, as the quality doesn't dip, which at times it does, thankfully it doesn't for Toy Story 4, um, so long as the creativity and the storytelling is still there, totally fine. Yeah, I agree. And I think the big thing is, like, Good Dinosaur wasn't great. No, it's bad. But, at the same, but, it, but in the same, at the same time, it's not terrible. It's, it's just Pixar has this aura around it that it only puts out quality products and then it puts out something like good dinosaur and, cars. and, and it's mm. so I will say I this know. for good dinosaur. It's one of the most visually stunning animated movies that Pixar has done. Yes, it is quite stunning. And I, there are times where I do enjoy the dynamic of the dinosaur and the crazy, like caveman child. There's, there's some times that I enjoy that dynamic. It's, I can see where they were trying to go with it. Fair enough. In terms of staying creative and just maintaining that story aspect, we hope the same can extend to Blumhouse, who will now be making officially the sequel to last year's runaway hit remake of Halloween. Now, it more or less is confirmed at this point, because we kind of figured it would be. Last week, we talked about how Jason Blum was meeting with Jamie Lee Curtis. Now it seems official. Halloween 2 is coming next Halloween season with them actually starting to film later this year with both Jamie Lee Curtis and director David Gordon Green expected to return. Uh, Josh, does this get you excited or are you kind of just like, I was fine with it ending where it was? Um, No, I'm down, man. I think with them building that was I, I saw the movie while I was getting a tattoo, so I, I don't remember quite a lot of it, but um. Uh, it, they were setting up Jamie Lee Curtis's like granddaughter to kind yep. of be the next um, Allison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, this one could easily just start with her being like, "Hey, like this is what I've gone through. I trained your mother and all this stuff. Now it's your turn." Because obviously he's back. Yeah, they teased it obviously in the end credits where you still hear Michael Myers breathing and just a. <sighs> type yeah. thing um now there's some speculation that with like allison clinging to michael myers knife desperately at the end it was very similar to jamie at the end of halloween four after she killed her mother um halloween more than any other franchise maybe this is just because my emotional attachment to it um has this long history of each individual movie besides the original, having massive rewrites and changes to the story. So I wouldn't be surprised if this has already been worked and reworked several times. Um, in the original writing process for the 2018 one, writer David Gordon Green, not David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, which is still weird for me to say that the dude from Tropic Thunder helped write Halloween, uh, they actually already had the story for the sequel mapped out. So I think they know where they want to go. And the nice thing about Halloween or just horror movies in general is they're cheap and they can be filmed fast. So this yeah. feasibly, it's absolutely possible to come out Halloween next year. Yeah. Well, and so I think I made this point, um, a couple, a couple weeks ago. Um, 
com- this this phase of not phase uh, this new wave of comedians coming in to write horror films makes more sense to me than I think it probably should. But it doesn't surprise me that Danny McBride would already have a sequel map, mapped out. Like, you're just, you know, in comedy, you're not, you don't just tell the joke. You tell the joke and set up for the next four jokes because that's how you, that's how you keep an audience in, right? Is you, you set things up and then you have to deliver on them. So, and you're always thinking ahead. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if Danny, if he is the main writer, has this story and even a potential two more lined up just because you want you want to take your main character on a journey. So we can't necessarily only do that in one movie. Now, I'll be very curious to see what direction they go for two. Obviously, it's going to be Michael Myers coming back. Do you kill Lori again? I actually don't think I would mind so much if she dies this time. I would have minded a lot if she died in the first one, but now that we have an established, like, passing of the baton to Allison, I think I'd be more okay mm-hmm. with her dying. But I would also be more okay with her sticking around as the new Loomis-type character. I agree. I think the big thing would be is if they do kill her in this one, it's gotta be, like, a Going bare nut- blaze of either, glory. Yeah, blaze of glory, or Michael actually gets the jump on her. Oh, you mean like stabbing her in the back and dropping her off a mental hospital? No, 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 no. I mean like or dying in a car like, crash off screen. Listen, <laughs> none of that happened. Um, but also, I know, like, side note, real quick, they're gonna name this one Halloween Two, which is super confusing. One because we've already had not one but two Halloween Twos in the franchise, but also chronologically speaking, in this new timeline they've established, this is Halloween Three. <laughs> it is. Oh, because you have the, the original joke, John Carpenter one, the 2018 one, which is technically called Halloween, but it's Halloween two in terms of their timeline. So this one would be Halloween three in terms of the timeline, but they're going to call it Halloween two. Yeah, why not? <laughs> this franchise, man. I know. I love it to death, but I can totally see a moment where. Lori thinks she's beat him and he like stabs through a door or something, something like really like, you know, like blaze of glory or Michael finally gets the jump on her or something like in a way that makes sense and not him throwing her off the top of a mental hospital. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. More or less. I kind of also want to move away from the Strode family. We've had enough of Michael and Strode's. Yeah. I really, I just, I've almost, I mean, I know we've had this before, but not really. I really want Michael to become an actual serial killer. Like, go from town to town and just slaughter people and then leave. Um, I got to disagree to a sense of it has to be in Haddonfield. Okay. Well, that's fine, but... But yeah, move away from the Strodes and have him just kill the whole town, essentially. Yes. Um, okay, so quick question. This is this is related, I promise. Uh, there was a movie, I don't know if it still is, but there was a movie on Netflix at one time called The Girl in the Photographs. Have you seen or heard about it? Never heard of it. Okay, I would look it up. Um, it's a very, very good film. Surprised the crap out of me. Um, but essentially, the movie is about the good guys losing. Essentially, 
Um, but like, it's in a way that it may, <laughs> to use wrestling terms, it makes the serial killers feel stronger. Like it doesn't they, like they, throughout the movie, they show you, Oh, Hey, look, like the serial killers are really bad and they're really good at what they do. And cause you know, it doesn't make sense in slashers. If these killers are good at what they do, then all of a sudden one person gets to jump on them. Like that doesn't necessarily make sense. So, like in real, in a real life situation. So I would love for a Halloween movie to take the route of Michael starts doing his thing and people think they get the jump. They're like, ha ha. Like not, not in the sense of, Oh, we've shot him 45 times in the chest. I shot him six out. times. Yeah. Exactly. Not in that way, but in the way of like, Oh, we're safe. And then he kills all of them and walks off. And that's the end of the movie. I would actually very much be okay with that because you know the general audience would hate it. Exactly. Cause it's, and you're it's, supposed to hate Michael Myers. I remember exactly. when the 2018 one came, came out and um, he kills the kid in the truck. And people are like, that's too far. He, oh, don't do that. I'm like, you do realize he's the bad guy, right? Exactly. Like, I want to hate Michael. Like, please make me hate Michael. Mm-hmm. Like, don't make him just this bumbling, like, not even bumbling, like this mentally handicapped person that happens to be really strong and loves killing people. Like, don't just, like, have him going after the Strodes after some kind of fixation. Like, if he's going to be a killer, take go it all the way. That, that, I'm fine with it being art, but take it all, like, go as far as you can with it. He's a, he's a murderer, man. Yeah. Um, basically, you know who else is a murderer? The Kingsman. Oh, get out of here. Now, this one, I'm very much on the fence about. Josh, I have a feeling you're a lot more excited about this than I am because this is like your franchise. I think you're going to be surprised. Alrighty, so before Josh gets into it, what we're talking about is the Kingsman franchise um, based off the comic book. The first two directed by Matthew Vaughn, who also did X-Men First Class. Really good. Um, We're getting a prequel to the Kingsman called The King's Man. Not a whole lot of information coming out. I'm actually extremely worried about this because it's got a February 2020 release date. That is so soon, and we only have this logo. Yeah, um, I'm okay with the prequel. I think it's kind of cool. Um, I'm curious as to how far back we're going to go. Yeah, I've also wondered that because uh, we don't really have that information out yet. But also the title suggests it's just going to be one person, not a grouping of Kingsmen. Yeah, so, but also they kind of already established the Kingsmen, the Kingsmen's, Kingsmen's backstory in the first movie. They're like, hey, like during World War II, it's like either World War One or Two, uh, all these rich people, you know, they all their heirs died, so they had nobody to leave their money to, so they created the Kingsmen, right? So that means, technically speaking, you can only go back to World War One or Two. Well, since Matthew Vaughn knows a thing or two about retconning uh, franchises past, I mean, yeah, I know, but. I would like, I'm not a big fan of retconning. Like I I really feel that, Oh, Hey, like 
this stuff is this is what has happened in the story so far. Yeah, it's not ideal, but let's find a creative way to work or work around it. I think in all honesty, and I'm saying this full transparency, I think this is the last one in the series. I agree. I mean, two was a little bit of a stretch. There's some great moments in two. But it's definitely not as good as one. Oh, no, not by any stretch. It's basically just there to have Elton John cameos, just so Taron Egerton can later be Elton John in a movie. I mean, yeah, but I mean, there's... I think the main thing that I do enjoy about the Kingsman movies is the style in which they are shot and the style that all the action is done. Um, I think it, it, they're always, always, the camera work is always very, very well done. The music is, music is always well done and the characters are interesting enough. Yeah. I always kind of think they're like, if Edgar Wright did a James Bond movie. Yeah. Like they're just, they're, 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 they're the, they are the, a unique spy film. And I, I appreciate for that. Them but yeah. I, I don't know if I see this franchise continuing past this one. Really? No, I agree. I, it, it's kind of lost its steam, steam, and I think it's time for Terrence Egerton to move on to other things. Yeah, Matthew Vaughn could move on to Superman. There was actually talk about that, but that's a issue for another day. Um, yeah. Talk about a franchise that also has lost a lot of steam. The Paranormal Activity franchise. We are now getting a seventh installment in this franchise. Oh, boy. I'll be perfectly honest. I have not actually seen any of these. I have seen like a couple. Um, I've never been that impressed. Uh, you know me. I'm very, very picky about my found, fit- found yeah, footage films. Say, some found footage you really like. You're, you're real high on both Blair Witch movies. Uh, not maybe not the first one. Definitely the newest one. Really? Newest I thought it was... Good. You like both of them. Nah, just that really I was more... The first one was okay. I, I can't... I couldn't, like, I didn't love it, but definitely the most recent one. Uh, and Chronicle is incredible as well. Yes, that's also very good. Back when Josh Trank had a career. Yeah, exactly. But, like, that's the point, though, is, like, found footage film is very hard to do. Uh, and it's honestly really hard for me to get behind one. Um, because at the end of the day, you have to have a reason why all this stuff is, A, being filmed, and a, B, uh, who's watching it. Yeah, case in point, The Visit. It was yeah. explained well why it's a found footage movie. Exactly. It, no, yeah, I completely forgot about The Visit. Yeah. The Visit's great. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. And it's even weirder that it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, but the point being is you've got to have a reason that, that people are filming. You've got to have a reason why it were, we as an audience are watching it. Like for Chronicle, like you figure it out at the end about why why we're seeing all this stuff, but like, and what what is it? Um, Blair Witch made sense because they they're making a documentary, and so but the paranormal activity ones were always just like, uh, we're a people we're we're a family or we're a group of people that happen to have cameras around. And uh, we're going to some for some reason pop in the webcam cameras and then pop in the security cameras like it doesn't make sense at all. And like who who's watching this? Who's who put all this footage together? Yeah, I'm actually going to say something possibly surprising here. I have a little bit of hope for this movie, actually. I'm 
cautiously optimistic for the sole reason that for a while there, for a long stretch of time, we had like a paranormal activity movie a year. Like once that first one did gangbangers and it was just like, what, $300,000 budget and it made like $50 million. Yeah. And it was, it was just it was huge. Um, yeah. They made like one a year. Then we haven't had one in quite a few years. So I think it was kind of them taking a step back and going, okay, diminishing returns each time. Yeah. What do we need to do to fix this? Yeah. So, I mean, let's, uh, you know, that's fine. I'll give, I'll give you that. Like it's definitely, it definitely comes across as a company that's like, oh, okay guys, hold on. Let's chill. Let's take a step back a little bit. And we, we both know that that doesn't happen often in the movie industry. Um, so, you know, let's, uh, okay. You know what? I think you just gave me a little hope for the movie. I, yeah. I don't, the last I one don't was what? Paranormal activity, the marked ones. Good, but... I think that was 2015. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a bit. It's been a bit. I think they've taken a step back or like, okay, clearly things are not going too well. How do we fix this? Yeah. Well, and to think of, and to put it in perspective, that's uh, 2015 or whatever. That's like four years. We now have a new, technically a new generation of horror fans. So, I mean, I'm assuming that you've got a bunch of kids who have never who are not that familiar or have access to kind of the, the old film, the older films that you and I grew up with or have, have sought after. Um, so, I mean, paranormal activity, I would assume would be a kind of a quote unquote new name to them. If anything, I've learned in all the years of movies that no franchise is beyond um, help basically of you can re-spark a franchise at any given time case in point fast yep. and furious was kind of just muddling along and the fourth one happened and then fast five happened with the rock and more or less everything after five has been a billion dollar movie so yeah. it's never too late in the game to save your franchise i think I agree, and but you definitely have to be willing to switch some things up and maybe oh, absolutely improve upon some stuff. And you know what? This will be their chance. Let's so let's see if they if that's actually something that they end up doing. Well, somebody that's really that is very studious and taking their notes and seeing what fans want and changing it up when they need to is the MCU. Obviously, spearheaded by the great Kevin Feige. I think when it's all said and done, Kevin Feige will do- go down in the history books alongside other great creative geniuses like Steven Spielberg and Walt Disney in terms of being the driving force behind one of the greatest universes in history. Now Kevin Feige is trying to win over even more internet fans by saying that he wants to find a good way to introduce the internet's favorite son, Keanu Reeves, into the MCU. First off, Josh... Do you actually believe that Kevin Feige wants to bring in Keanu Reeves, or is this just him playing to his audience? I personally think it's him playing to his audience because I personally, I can't, I don't know who Keanu would be in this modern um, MCU. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm trying, that's, that's saying I think a lot. of one I, or two I, options. Everyone suggests Silver Surfer, but I'm like, eh, maybe. 
Um, I actually yeah. see him as Nova. Oh, absolutely. I could, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see him as Nova. Uh, like maybe like Nova? a um, super cocky, um, kind of like a Booster Gold type character. Okay. Because well, like, he can do uh, like comedy the, like real the, well. But yeah, like, I'm kind of with you. I think Kevin Feige, he's just kind of joking along with everyone else. He's just like, yeah. yeah, we just look for the right opportunities to include Keanu Reeves in the MCU. We've been planning it for a while. I'm like, as great as it would be to see Keanu Reeves in the MCU, have you actually been planning this out like you've planned everything else? Or yeah. are you just making that up yeah. to appease your fans? Here's the thing. I would not, I don't want to see him in the MCU because I want him to be busy with something else. Um, and I, I think you tagged me in it. Um, as him as Revan in the Star Wars universe. Yep. I feel like that is the net. Like now that I've seen that, I can't unsee it, and I really want it to happen. Although I saw his um, somebody did the same thing. Maybe it's Boss Logic that disguised him as Deathstroke, and he looked so good as that too. Well, of course. I think Keanu is what is, he's like upper forties, maybe his fifth, close to. He's his 50. in his fifties, man. Yeah, okay, first of all, the man doesn't look like he's aged at all. Oh, no, Second he of hasn't. All, he is literally hitting, just now hitting his stride as an actor. Yeah, he's found his niche, basically. So, whatever yeah. it is, I don't think he's going to be a super physical role, because he's going to be preoccupied with John Wick for a while. Um, yeah, I, I think mean, this is that's assuming Kevin that, Feige playing with his audience, and knowing that Keanu Reeves is the most popular thing on the internet right now. Yeah. But in, that's, I mean, to me, maybe this is just me personally, and we all know that I have always had issues with some of Marvel and Disney's things. That puts a, if, if it is just him being like, oh, this is what's popular. Let's like put out a message to appease the fans or whatever. To me, that puts a, li- a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. But Which, I mean, let's be honest, bad. that's never been what Kevin Feige's been about. Exactly. So He's always played like, long game, but it... I think in that situation, it was just a matter of you kind of have to say something. So he yeah. just kind of went along with it. It's like if you're in a really awkward interaction, you kind of just kind of go with the conversation. Yeah, but in, in to be to his credit, the way that he said it, the way he answered um, makes it so if it doesn't happen, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, very, very true. I think he's going to be more preoccupied with um, the Fox stuff anyway. Yeah, and uh, all this, if if the multiverse is in fact coming, then yes. Which, quick side tangent before we get into our main discussion, which of course relates to Spider-Man before Far From Home. Uh, I told Heather coming out of Endgame, because I cheered my head off when, spoiler alert, Captain America wielded Mjolnir. That's the loudest I've ever cheered in a theater since um, Kylo and Rey teamed up in Last Jedi. It's the loudest I've cheered in a theater, period. And I was just like, that'll never be topped. I'll never cheer louder than that. And then over the past couple days, I was like, let me reevaluate that. If these two things ever happened in a movie, first, if the Sinister Six ever got together to fight Spider-Man, I would cheer so loud. But two, and Heather's like, yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Is if like the end credits from Far From Home is something about Peter's like, well, it's too bad that multiverse thing ended up not being the case. That would have been kind of cool to see another version of me 
And then we pan up to a news building and you just hear, what's this multiverse? And out comes J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson. Mm. I'd be super down with that. Because if I saw a meme of that once, of just like you say multiverse and it just shows that J. Jonah coming back. I'm like that. I would cheer louder than ever before. Yeah. I also, um, Tom Holland wants to do with the multiverse in, in play wants to bring, um, back Andrew and, um, Oh geez. I just blanked on his name. Andrew Garfield and who Tobey Maguire. And like actually have like an actual like scene with all three of them. That would be cool. I, uh, and I honestly would be super down with that because they're all their Spider-Mans are different and unique enough that you could totally kind of work that way the work that through. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one more side tangent before we get to our main discussion. Heather and I are going through all the Spider-Man movies we see ready from far from home. And I was like, if they do recast J. Jonah, which I'm sure they will, I would love Ice Cube. <laughs> I never, I, that is like an out of left field pick, but I remember the be, Jump Street movies. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm just picturing that, like, Peter. Get me some pictures of Spider-Man or I'll kick your butt. And I'm like, yes. Okay, yeah, his I'm, expression I'm so when Channing Tatum finds out the secret in the second one. Yes. That oh, would Ice Cube as J. Jonah, please. Like just that snarl. And like you don't even have to give him. No, actually go full fledged. Give him the stinking mustache. That would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. I'm super down now. Well, now that we're on the topic of Spider-Man, let's transition into our main discussion today, which is Josh and I giving our own personal rankings from worst to best of the Spider-Man movies that have come out in theaters. So nothing animated, unfortunately, um, just the theatrically released stuff. Well, actually, that does include Into the Spider-Verse. So anything has to be theatrically released, so no TV shows. But I promise Josh we'd do it quick discussion about it because it's the only Spider-Man that we both wholeheartedly actually can agree on because we have widely different tastes than our Spider-Man. Yes. There's one thing that Josh and I can agree on though, and that is the best TV show Spider-Man as an honorable mention. Josh, what Spider-Man is that? Um, you know what? I don't actually know what the, the time is. I think it's just Spider-Man and that's the, the one that Drake it, uh, voices. It changed a couple times. The first two okay. seasons were like Ultimate Spider-Man and then like yeah. it was like Spider-Man Web Warriors. Well, because uh, I think it changed they switched a couple it times. Like Just they, League and Just it, League Unlimited style. Yeah, yeah. But, but it made sense because it wasn't like they just like randomly switched it. It was once they went Web Warriors when they introduced the, the multiverse and stuff. Yes. But yes, but, uh, it's the Drake Bell voiced Spider-Man. It's fantastic. It, it's easily like, in my opinion, goes up there with uh, Avatar The Last Airbender is one of my favorite animated shows of all time. My only complaint with it is it has nothing to do with the quality of the show. It's just incredibly difficult to find. Yeah, which again, I think we said this early, uh, earlier off, off uh, mic when we were talking about it. Um, if they can have that on the Disney app, it would just, I would buy it only for that, honestly. Oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that is by far our favorite Spider-Man TV series. We did that as an honorable mention. Plus it's the only thing that Josh and I can actually agree upon. Now 
the disagreements, I'm sure. So, um, Josh, you wanna... I'll let you open the floor with your number seven. So what like, is your least you favorite Spider-Man? The... Yeah, you want to go from the bottom and go up to the top? Yeah, we'll go worst to best. So, okay. what is your least favorite Spider-Man <sighs> movie that's come out so far at number seven? Uh, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Wow! I was really anticipating you saying Spider-Man 3 because you are real high on the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I I am, but, and to be fair, the the difficult thing, and I go back and forth on between 3 and um, Amazing Spider-Man 2 being my least favorite, but because Amazing Spider-Man 2 has the most accurate... um, costume we've ever had uh i think homecomings is a little better but that being said amazing spider-man 2 in terms of improving the previous suit absolutely because yes. amazing spider-man suit is trash yes but I, yeah two, exactly. it, the suit is the best thing about that movie exactly but like and but then like when i was thinking about all this stuff like and i was trying to think of what i enjoyed about the movie i was like all right cool the suit um, suit. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's disappointing. So, yeah. Whereas, like, and, and it's not number six at all. Yeah. It, I mean, now, don't hear me wrong. Number six is definitely a Spider Man 3. But I do, there's a lot more to enjoy and appreciate and be entertained by in 3 than there is Amazing Spider Man 2. Yes, three is more cohesive, but we'll get to that one next. My oh, yes. Amazing Spider-Man Two by far is my number seven, and I think it's the biggest gap in terms of quality on this list because I think Amazing Spider-Man Two is just awful. I remember even walking out of the theater, and everyone else was like, "That was pretty good," and me just going, uh, "I don't know." And then the more I watch it, the more mad I get because yeah. there's just so many different things that it was just Sony desperately trying to. Throw a universe together real quick. Uh, yeah. The secret of Peter Parker's parents. I was like, wasn't that in the last movie? But also that side tangent goes nowhere except for a deleted scene, in which case you find out that Peter's parents are still alive. And yep. he has a confrontation with his dad in uh, the graveyard. But then you have all these side characters that you either blow through completely Waste them because you misunderstand them. Looking at you, Paul Giamatti as Rhino. First of all, I was super excited about Paul Giamatti as, as Rhino. Yeah. Up and until then the, up until he he's not even up. in it. Yeah. Up until the point he showed up. Like legitimately. I am the Rhino. Because Paul Giamatti is awesome. Yeah. And his sideways co-star, Thomas Aiden Church, who we'll talk about later, was great as yeah. Sandman. Ugh. So... But then also, as a Spider-Man fan, like a diehard Spider-Man fan, I caught a lot more than others of just certain things that I was like, wait, this is obviously sequel bait because you have Black Cat, Alistair Smythe, who creates the Spider Slayers. It's like, you just wasted like three movies worth of potential here. Then the shoehorning in of the Sinister Six stuff with literally a dude walking past a tank with things in them. Um, Yeah. And then the one that I know I've talked at nauseum about that still to this day frustrates me of how much they botched it was the death of Gwen Stacy. I... Because I, I, 
Jeez, there was no yeah, emotional there, there stakes. Been... They telegraphed it throughout the whole movie that she was going to die. And then yeah. how they did it, it was in the comic, it's very clear Peter's responsible for her death by catching her so quickly. This one, it was just kind of, it wasn't clear of, was it because of her neck? Did she smack her head on the ground? What well, happened I mean, here? The one thing was clear was that he was too late. Um, yes. Now, and it was you and blatantly I obvious with the webbing hand. I'm like, oh, good, good grief. Yes. The will, I will say, out, now that I'm thinking about it, um, I kind of did enjoy Jamie Jamie Foxx's Electro. Get out. Not the not the dubstep, not at no. all the dubstep, but the design I really enjoyed. The design wasn't it was very accurate to the comic, which is the ultimate. Yes. I still prefer the green and yellow, but that's me being biased in my old schoolness. Um as a performance, yes. I thought it was one of the worst supervillain performances in a comic book movie. I've ever seen. Really? It was okay. on par with Jim okay. Carrey's Riddler. Okay, fair enough. He's I'll give you he that. is Jim Carrey's Riddler. He talks to him to himself in the mirror. He's a little just weird kooky guy. Mm-hmm. And I know people brought it up before, think... but it's weird that once he becomes electro, his teeth get fixed. Yeah, I know that's that's weird as well. I will say, um, I think if we would have spent more time with him as an actual villain, tor- like like when um, the Goblin starts using him and he goes oh, like... Oh, I haven't even brought up the Goblin yet. Yeah, no, we, I don't want to talk about the Goblin. I don't want to talk about it. I want to move on. To yeah, say. that's that's fair because I have a long diatribe about how much no, you the Goblin. That, whatever that was does not deserve to be talked about. Yeah, that was just bad. But you're talking about Electro... Yeah, I like him going in and out of electric so- electric sockets and like stuff like that. I found I Actually, thought that was interesting. It could have been really really cool, and you could have done some really cool stuff w- with it if he was the only villain. I really hate this movie, and like you said, the suit is great, and that's by and large the best thing about it. The only good thing about it. But as you were talking about Electro, there is one part in the movie that I was like, "That's clever. I like that." It's when um, Harry, not Goblin yet, Harry is teaming up with Electro and they're interrogating some guy. And they keep killing him and then Electro resuscitates him using more or less a defibrillator, like himself as a defibrillator. I'm like, yeah, that's actually really clever. Yeah. The, The movie was, and I think you can kind of tell... Uh, from that some of the writing was left over from the first one because I do really appreciate the first one. We'll we'll get to that, but there's there's some there is some smart subtle things that they they did do well, but it, it's by and large a mess. Oh, it's absolutely a mess. So much so that it just killed that iteration. But speaking yes. of killing iterations, I think we both said it earlier. Our number six worst is Spider-Man 3, which I just watched this yesterday. It's actually not nearly as bad as people make it out to be. If you cut it off at the halfway point, it's just like the rest of them. It's the problem of when you introduce the Venom symbiote. Actually, even the Venom Venom symbiote is not difficult. So there's two steps that would immediately fix this movie. Of one, take out Topher Grace wholesale, not even in the movie. And the Venom symbiote goes to Harry instead. Yeah. Immediately fixes, like, almost all the problems of the movie. Absolutely. 
And can we get rid of the dancing scene? No. As much as I physically cannot bring myself to watch it, it's been explained to me, and I actually completely agree, of Peter is not doing this to come across as cool. He's doing this because he thinks this is what cool people do because he's never been a cool person before. Oh, I mean, yeah. But it's, it's supposed to be cringy. I mean, I guess. It's just... But also, rewatching it, I hate, like, every character in this. Mary Jane is just awful. She literally says yep. in the movie, this isn't about you. This is about me. Yes. And that's her whole mantra through most of the trilogy, but especially this one of Peter's going through a lot of stuff, and all she cares about is, I, I lost my role in the play because, frankly, I wasn't very good at it. Yes. That being it's said... A- for all my big issues with the movie, which is many, not as many as many Spider-Man 2, I can almost forgive a lot of how bad Spider-Man 3 is because of how good Thomas Hayden Church is as Sandman. Dude, Sandman, legitimately, if they would have just stuck with Sandman, that that movie could have had like this villain tragedy thing like really going for it. The best scene in the whole movie is when Sandman gets transformed into Sandman for the first time, and he more or less has to rebuild himself. And he has yeah. the little locket of his daughter that serves as his motivation to more to both emotionally and physically pull himself back together. It's inc- it, he is one, definitely one of my favorite things about that. To me, the only redeemable thing about that movie. Also, most comic accurate suit. You could possibly get. Like as far as Sandman or Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's but no also, way you can get anything let's not, better than that. Sandman's not the only good thing about that. J. Jonah Jameson has some great scenes. Well, it's J.K. Simmons though. Like Spider Man 3 is just... the movie that has the heart medication scene. <laughs> That's you right. know what I'm talking about? Of uh Mr. Jameson, your wife says to take your pill. Thank you. Rings the buzzer, like, shakes his whole desk. Keeps doing it over and over again. It's the best. I I, Jay, I really need Jake, more J.K. Simmons in my life, especially after watching Whiplash. I need to see him in more things. Um, so, Yeah, I wish we could see him more as Commissioner Gordon, but I think he's done there, too. Which I don't blame him after the... Just the I don't have an appropriate word to say on this podcast to say what that was <laughs> for Justice League. Yes, missed opportunity. We'll go with that. <sighs> I can. I guess I can just say cluster. Yeah, yeah. Spider Man Three is also a cluster, but I I'm becoming more of a defender of it because it's not as bad as people make it out to be. It's just one or two things that were more or less out of the director's control and the studio more or less made him do Venom. Yeah. But even then, with Venom, there's ways that you could have made it work. Yes. Harry. Yes. There's ways that I... I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah. So that's tough. It's easier to arm your book years after. Yeah, exactly. So uh, next up, number five, I have Amazing Spider-Man, the first one. Yeah, fair enough. So for me, with Amazing Spider-Man, it's good. I don't think time has been necessarily too kind to this movie. Because the more I step back at it... Because when this movie came out, 
I didn't realize it at the time because I was just a naive Spider-Man fan. I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderful. Apparently, this movie was not really well-received either when it came out. It was like 65-35 in terms of uh, likes to dislikes. Like, it wasn't mm. universally praised like the Tobey Maguire movies. I thought everyone loved it. I was like, yeah, this is really good. This is closer to the Spider-Man than I know and love. Throughout the years, I like this movie less and less because Peter's a jerk. He's yeah. not a good person at all. No, and it kind of gets kind of hard to root for him. Also, I never, even when I was younger, I never once for a second bought him as Peter Parker. I thought he's a better Spider-Man than Tobey Maguire, but Tobey Maguire is a much better Peter Parker. I don't buy Andrew Garfield as a nerd. He doesn't strike me as awkward. He talks to yeah, all the no, really attractive girls in the school. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's not my number five. Uh, number five is uh, the first Spider-Man for me. The Tobey Maguire one? Yes. Okay. Um, and part Actually, of that that's is... flipped for me. That's my next one, so we can kind of lump these together. Yeah, yeah, because it, like, it, it has not held up well. Rewatching um, it, no, you are absolutely right. It has yeah, not, not aged well, but no, I will credit to this was before this was post. No, this movie was pre Dark Knight, the movie that more or less changed superhero movies to be more serious in their tone. This was still, this was 2002. This is very early on in superhero movies in terms it of was the also, new age. Still very early on in CGI, and oh yes, uh, it shows. It, is, it does show. It has not and aged well. No, it has not. And I personally have, and I don't think I've ever been quiet about this. I've never really, and I think it's the theme here. I've never bought Tobey Maguire as Spider Man, which is rough because for me. I think the bond that in, in uh, Amazing Spider-Man that is built between uh, Peter and Dr. Connors, and then when he eventually turns, I think that is that's really devastating to me because I I felt I, I felt that more than when Peter found out that um, you know Mr. Osborne is is Green Goblin. I guess really. Yeah, I, I, I would disagree with that. Primarily just because I wasn't a huge fan of Reese Ivins as the lizard. But Fair. I kind of agree with you in the sense of when I was growing up, I didn't see any of the Spider movies except for Spider Man 3 in the theaters just because I grew up in a home of I didn't see PG 13 movies until I was 13, which, yeah, yeah I'm totally fine with that. Um, so I just saw these movies late. But I still was aware of these movies. I had the Lunchable lithograph cards. Yep. Yeah. For Spider-Man 2. Um, but even as a comic book fan, I was like, all right, here's my comic book Spider-Man. And then there's the movie Spider-Man. They're a little different, but I always knew Tom McGuire as Spider-Man. But maybe because I came late, I was just like, he's he is a version of Spider-Man. As opposed yes. to something I'll talk about later when it's just that that's the Spider-Man I know and love. Uh, the Tobey yeah. Maguire one is just fine. There's some choices aesthetically that still to this day I scratch my head at with Amazing Spider-Man. Most specifically I, the Green I, Goblin. Yeah. What um, is that? 
Um, the big thing for me in Amazing Spider-Man, the reason I think I felt I, I got more behind the the lizard, you know, reveal or whatever, um, was because Connors, for Peter, in a lot of ways, was his last last kind of um, hold on his uncle Ben, his family. It was the last like connection to those people, like living connection to those people outside of May. Um, whereas I never felt like Peter and Mr. Dr. Osborne were like close. You know what I mean? It always felt like, Oh, that's, that's my best friend's dad kind of thing. Yeah. Unlike a certain character I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, I will say in the favor of, um, Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire one, no Spider-Man fight to date has gotten nearly as close to the brutality and the sheer uncomfortable level of violence of that first Spider-Man goblin fight at the end. Yes. The sound design for that is unparalleled. There's no score whatsoever. You feel every hit. It is very violent for 2002. Uh, It was. Peter gets real messed up. He does. And I think... Then Goblin getting impaled and everything. It's a brutal fight. It is. I, I think a lot of and the acting is, first of all, I think we're the one thing for me that Spider-Man does have going for it is William Defoe. William Defoe is one of my favorite actors. And he, in that final, that final scene, like he is acting his butt off and which is, says a lot because he's got a mask on. Yeah. Which he's actually scarier without the mask. Oh, yeah, and I don't know how that's possible, but Will it's William Defoe. Defoe so. just, just Willem Defoe. Yeah, the man's terrifying. Although I think I was more afraid of him in Grand Budapest Hotel. Also true, but still. Yeah, um, we'll come back to Amazing Spider-Man more in detail because um, I know it'll be later on your list, and so we'll kind of double back on that, and I'll kind of give more of the positives that I have for it because I do have some positives. Yeah. Um, there's one element in particular that I'm really excited to talk about for Amazing Spider-Man when we get there that I still think is actually the best element of any of the different incarnations that we've gotten of it. We've gotten three different versions of a specific aspect, but I think Amazing Spider-Man actually does it best. So I'll let you think about that for a little bit until we get back to it. Um, so... Um, I did Amazing Spider-Man. My number four is the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. What's your number four? Um, number four, I think, is going to be Spider-Man 2. Really? Um, Yes. And part of that is... It's good. Don't get me wrong. It's good. I... I, so I grew up reading the Ultimate Spider-Man, which is what the Amazing Spider-Man movie I'm is based so off sorry. of. I know, but at the same time, like that was that's why I think I have such an attachment to the first one, is because it's like that's the one that's the Spider-Man I, I grew up reading about was the the Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, now that being said, uh. I don't, I I haven't seen, part of it is I haven't seen two in a long, long time. Um, so that might change, but I, I didn't, I, I remember not liking doc. (gasps) Uh, How dare you? I know. I know. Doc Ock is still my favorite Spider-Man villain that we've gotten to date so far more than Vulture. 
Uh, I mean, I guess. I just, I don't just know, Just because Alfred Molina gives a really great performance. You can tell Sam Raimi wanted to do this villain as opposed to Venom. Uh, there's some really great horror aspects to Doc Ock, especially that hospital room. You could just tell was done by a horror director. But the effects on Doc Ock's um, tentacles still hold up incredibly well to this day. And actually, that ties perfectly in. If Spider-Man 2 is my number three, and it was my number one for a lot of years until the past three or four years when we've had some real bangers of yes. Spider-Man movies come out. Um, Doc Ock to me is like the best thing about Spider-Man 2 and why it's so high on the list. That um, Aunt May's pep talk to Tobey Maguire of just... He wonders where Spider-Man's been. I isn't two also the one where he like loses his powers. Um, I should know this because I just watched it. I believe yeah, so. They, yeah. All right. I was never down with that ever. Like that doesn't make sense to me at all. Even though it's happened numerous times in the comics. I mean, it doesn't, but it, that doesn't mean it makes sense. It like, but in, he loses in his powers two, all the time. No, in, okay, listen. In two, it doesn't like. Legitimately, their reason was he wasn't he, he mentally wasn't sure that he wanted to be Spider Man any, anymore, so his powers just stopped. Which I guess, suppose that's fair, but in a sense, he has quit being Spider Man. There's that famous panel that they even recreated in Spider Man Two of Spider Man No More, where he leaves his suit in the trash, but um. To be fair to you, actually, Spider-Man has lost his powers a couple times, but typically it's when he's sick or he's got something, like, physically wrong with him, not a mental state of... There's several comics that I've read that Spider-Man gets sick and he gets his butt handed to him, but then he's, he's like, better the next day and he gets his powers back. Exactly. Like, there's always been a reason not, like, man, I don't want to be Spider-Man anymore, and his powers are just like, all right, cool, peace. Like that to me, like if, if, you know, you have this radiation or this spider bite or whatever you want to call it, that has literally physically changed your DNA down to the last, you know, the, every atom, how does that just go away? Because your, your brain doesn't want to do it anymore. Also quick side tangent. My biggest grumble that I've always had about the Tobin McGuire's is why does the webbing come from him? Why does it? That has always been my issue with, and it's always the reason I can't, I couldn't get. You know who mind. to blame for that, right? Who? James Cameron. Really? James Cameron was really close to making a live-action Spider-Man, starring Leonardo DiCaprio at one point. Sam Raimi liked that idea of an organic web shooters from James Cameron and kept that for the movie. That's dumb. It's yeah, dumb. I no, always hated I always... that because as someone that grew up reading comics it was just like no he runs out of web fluid all the time it's a common issue that he has here it makes yeah. no sense why he would run out exactly in, unless you're gonna make it like a flash thing or like i need to eat in order to make webbing like no but then because if that's the case why doesn't it come out his butt like why does is that not a thing that happens get out of here i just yeah i, I think mm-hmm. it, it is my biggest gripe and it's one of the reasons why I do put Amazing Spider-Man over two because of the emo- to, to me the emotional connection works a little bit better. So is that um, your number I, three? Is Amazing Spider-Man? Yes, it is. I okay. have a feeling that we, I feel I have a feeling that we have the exact same one and two. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, 
Mm, we'll see. They, um, they'll be there, but they might just be flipped. They might be. We'll see. Um, but I, I personally enjoy Amazing Spider-Man a little bit more because of the attention to detail on some of some of the little aspects. Like, which is weird to, to me that they get certain little aspects right, but then they botch like the bigger picture, like story. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I like enjoy like, the yeah, idea. we have him building his own webs again. Yes, but then you have real great. weird storytelling like, choices. Yeah, and but and I enjoyed. Um, I thought it was really smart that, okay, you know, the lizard has changed himself into this. It makes sense that he would also know how to do that to other people. And like, so I mean, that to me that was like a that was a fresh take on on lizard that I personally I don't think I've ever seen anywhere else. But um, I and I also since we were talking about the webbing. Um, what, just watching him web things in, uh, in the movie and swinging makes more sense in the amazing Spider-Man, the way that the physics work and the way that they, they shoot it, shoot it all makes more sense than I think it had up until that point. Like when he's swinging down the bridge towards like, like early on in the movie, when he figures out actually how to swing, um, you can see him shoot the web, and then when he let go, lets go, it doesn't just hang there. It all springs back into the point where he shot it, so it stays there. So, because so, you know, everyone's all complaining about Spider-Man has always been, well, why isn't there, you know, like just webbing, just hanging everywhere? Because it dissolves after thirty minutes. Yes, there's that, and it's it go, it you know, it it's like shooting something and swinging on a bungee, like that's what it is. It's so it's. And the physics that they they shot it with in, in Amazing Spider-Man, I really appreciated and thought it was a nice little touch. At least for the first one, I thought the dynamic between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone was really, really good, actually. It went oh, way agree. overboard in the second one, but... Yeah, I, it felt like a natural, awkward connection. Now, uh, this may surprise you, but that thing that I mentioned earlier, that element that I think Amazing Spider-Man does better than any of the incarnations, so including Holland, uh, Garfield, and Maguire, all three of the move, all three incarnations had this element, but I think Amazing Spider-Man does it best. Flash Thompson. Yes. I think Amazing Spider-Man's Flash Thompson is by and large the best Flash Thompson we've ever gotten. So basically the Tom... Tobey Maguire one is like your generic um, high school bully. He's Deathstroke, which I think is just great. Um, and don't get me wrong. I like the new Flash Thompson, actually. I was initially not sold on it because he's like, he's just a pipsqueak. But he's just that arrogant, rich guy that everyone hates, but they can't do anything about, which is more yeah. in line with modern bullies. Um, yeah, absolutely. But Amazing Spider-Man, I really like this Flash, because it's closer to the Flash comics that I knew of just being a jerk, but having a love affair with Spider-Man. But they do something interesting with Flash that I was not expecting of. Um, like, one of my favorite scenes in Amazing Spider-Man is after Uncle Ben dies, Flash comes up to Peter. Yes. And he tries to talk to him, and Peter just slams him into a locker. And uh, Flash is like, the rage feels good, doesn't it? Makes the pain go away a little bit. I've just like, in that moment, you understand. And Flash is like trying to be there for Peter because he knows how much Uncle Ben meant to him. And I was like, 
that is something I would like to see more of to the point of at the end of Amazing Spider-Man, you see him in the Spider-Man shirt. I was like, that that's Flash Thompson right there of hates Peter, eventually becomes one of his best friends, but loves Spider-Man. So if we could get the amazing version of Flash Thompson in the Tom Holland ones, I think that'd be a perfect combo of having I, bully Tom Holland, but then be a huge fan of Spider-Man. So tell me, uh, I'm curious as to your opinion, because it's, it's, I think, personally my favorite iteration, but how do you feel about how they handle Uncle Ben? Uh, it's got, for me, it's got to be the Tobey Maguire. Really? Okay. Rewatching them, they're both good in their own way, but just the presence of Cliff Robertson in the original one is so much better. They spend more time with them. Um, okay, fair enough. They don't really spend as much time as they should with Andrew Garfield and um, I think it's Martin Sheen. It's A. Sheen. I think it's Martin Sheen. Yeah, they don't spend as much time because they know, we know as an audience, that he's going to die. So I feel like they don't spend as much time as they should. They're just like, he's going to die. Also, we don't get as much of that good fatherly wisdom until after he's dead. So there's yeah. a couple scenes of him that's just like, eh. And it's revealed do... afterwards. Whereas the Cliff Robertson one, he's got a couple really good moments, especially in those first two of just giving Peter great advice and just being that great, loving, grand, uh, kind of grandfather figure, but being the uncle, essentially. Yeah. I will say that I enjoyed, I think, the di- dynamic between May and Ben a little bit better in Amazing Spider-Man. I felt like that was like a fun place to grow up kind of thing. And I did, I think the big, the thing that I have found funny is that, <laughs> is that uh, as we've gotten go, you know, through the years with ha- having different iterations of Spider-Man. May gets younger. May, May and Ben have gotten younger and younger. I will um, say, original trilogy, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man has the best Aunt May still. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. You're going to say amazing, aren't you? I am. And I, I she think doesn't part of, do anything. Listen, so let's think about this. Just follow my train of thought here, okay? Um, If they were to take the game that they made and made it into uh, of Spider-Man and made it into a movie. What, who, who could you see playing Aunt May in that, in that game or that movie? Probably the same actress. That's the, to me, it's, it's the lady that played um, May and whose name is escaping my brain at the, at this moment. Sally Fields. Uh, Sally Fields. There it is. It's to me, it's Sally Fields. I, I, for some reason I felt that, like this is a good woman who has good intentions and she loves Peter and it's, she would be a good, she feels like a good role model for Peter. Not just like I'm, I'm, I'm a mother figure for you. Like what I think it's coming down to, and it's, this is just becoming more and more apparent. We kind of just grew up with different styles of Spider-Man of what we latch onto emotionally. My aunt May is definitely more, that classic Steve Ditko, Stan Lee era, and I'll go yes. more to that later, whereas yours is more Ultimates, Aunt May, who's more active, still works the Daily... Is it still... She works at Daily Bugle, or she still is working type of thing? Yeah, but, like, the big thing I, I attached, I got attached to was 
she's still working in the community as a nurse. And by, well, the, the, that's by the second one, but the, she's always giving back to the community. And she was always, she was a character that Peter could look up to as a part as someone like, Hey, this is where we, this neighborhood is where we live. We better take care of the people that are in it. And to me, that, that is something that Spider-Man is all about. Like, that's why, like, I don't really mind if he goes outside of New York, but my favorite stories are when he is in New York. Cause he's got this very, like, no, this is my city and I'm going to take care of everybody that I can that's in it. I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause for a while there, it seems like I'm the only one that kind of has an issue with it is I'm, I think I'd be more excited about Far From Home if it wasn't set in Europe. I think that's yeah. my biggest hang-up with it right now is I'm like, all right, I'm on board with the Mysterio. I like seeing the elementals. They look cool. But Spider-Man is like, he is New York. It's like having a Batman movie set in London. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It's it's weird. It, it is weird. And, and you know, maybe the fact they'll he's not in the red us. and blue. Yeah, it, maybe they'll sell us on it, but whatever. Yeah, I, but I, no, I... Actually, I already do know why he's wearing the different suits. And it makes sense from a storytelling perspective, but the movie has to end with him in the red and blue. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. Like, we, and it's gonna, it's, it has to be a different suit than the one he's had. Oh, I'm, I'm, sh- I, I really think it will. Um, but to get back on track, any closing thoughts on Amazing Spider Man 2 before we get down to our final two? Not really. I, I I think you and I have kind of said everything there is to say for you and I to to say about that move about it. Um, yeah, if not this episode, I know we've talked about it at nauseum in previous episodes. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's I I appreciate. I feel like it's the uh, one thing more than any other that we will always disagree and butt heads on. Yeah, because because I and like you said earlier, I, it's it really comes down to we grew up with different Spider Mans. Yes, Spider-Man has had a lot of different incarnations, like radically exactly. different incarnations. Some, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that at all, either. Yeah, some are radically different. Case in point, my number two, Into the Spider-Verse. Really? Okay. I told you they'd be flipped, man. I Interesting. It took me a while to really narrow down. I was like, Spider-Man 2, Homecoming. Into the Spider-Verse. One of them has to make the cut. So, Into the Spider-Verse. I love this movie. And not just because Nicolas Cage is in it, but that helps. <laughs> Nicolas Cage, John Mulaney. It's... Um, was it, Je- is it Jeff Johnson? Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson, there it is. Uh, he plays the he's the he's um, um, Nick from uh, Chris Pine too. Yeah, there's a lot of really big names in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Into the Spider Verse, I had pretty low expectations for just because I thought weird an animated Spider Man movie while we have Spider Man movies going. Also, full admission here, I've never cared about the character of Miles Morales. However, yeah. 2018 did a really good number on him of, okay, I really liked him into the Spider-Verse. I really liked him in the Spider-Man game. I'm starting to become a Miles Morales fan. Um, but Into the Spider-Verse absolutely blew me away. Yeah, I... <laughs> this is your number this one, is, isn't it? It's totally my number one. Um, 
and I think first, and I think it goes back to what our, the, what our, the theme of our discussion has kind of been is that we grew up with different Spider-Mans, but it, it hit all the notes for me. This personally. one though, I, I would argue against your point just because this Spider-Man more than any other Spider-Man's more than a Holland or the Tobey Maguire or even the Garfield. This doesn't feel like it belongs to an era. It feels like all the eras of Spider-Man, but it, it feels the most like the nineties cartoon, actually. I, I'll give you that. And I, I personally like for some reason, and I could probably pin it if I, if I wanted to really like sat down and watched it again. Cause I, I've only seen it once. So I would love to watch it a couple more times, but um, th- the journey that Miles goes through along with the journey that Peter from the other earth goes to, goes through, um, I think hit more emotional notes and really like, I just resonated more with more than the stuff that went on with, with uh, homecoming. Also, I remember being very critical about it before the movie came out, but the animation style of Into the Spider-Verse, it's so hard to do anything new nowadays in movies, but I felt like when I was Mm -hmm. watching Into the Spider-Verse, I felt like I was watching something new. I had not seen that style before, but it really worked. I've never seen a movie feel more like a comic than I did with Into the Spider-Verse. It was literally a living comic. Not an adaptation really of comic, but a living comic itself. And that's what I think I appreciate the most about it is it felt like it legitimately felt outside of character designs, outside of voice acting. It felt like a comic come to life. And also, as a person that's been reading comics forever, I like that it pulled some fast ones of like, I thought I knew where it was going to go. Like going into the movie, I was like, all right. Miles' dad is going to bite it, or one of his parents is going to bite it. That's just superhero logic. In the comics, his dad dies. Mm -hmm. It's not him that bites it. So when that character that does die, dies, I was like, oh, that was a nice twist. Yeah, it was. And it does come at, you don't have a lot of time to register, um, like, oh, no. Oh, no, I know where this is going. Like, they they kind of make a reveal, and then you go, oh, man, that really sucks. And then, and then stuff quick happens. Because not like, all deaths oh. have to be drawn out. He was gone. Yeah. It was, and but they they did a good job of setting up that character first, of showing why he was so close to him. Yes. And then, for a movie called Into the Spider-Verse, they actually don't focus on the Spider-Verse nearly as much as I was expecting. Um, I want more of the rest of the Spider-Verse in a sequel, which I'm sure is coming, which I'll give my story pitch for that in a little bit here. I really like the supporting characters. Like I said, Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir. Great. I'm so happy for Nicolas Cage that he got to be Spider-Man and Superman in the same calendar year. Yes. And John Mulaney as Spider-Ham. As someone that actually has read Spider-Ham comics, he was perfect. I think the thing I've appreciated also about, about it is that you can tell that they're all from different universes. They interact with reality differently. Like, yes. Spider-Ham How is, is actually floating. We're inside. Exactly. And like, um, whatever her name is, I can't remember just the, her, the, the anime 
anime Spider-Man, like the way that she's drawn and the way that she interacts with the, with the world is different as well. Like it, every character was drawn in a very specific way. And it was obviously different than the world that you were in. It was, it was just very, very smart and well done. And I think the attention to detail was, was incredible. Oh, absolutely. I love into the spider verse and I fully expect there to be a sequel. It didn't do huge numbers, but it, since it was an animated movie, it was easier to make its budget back. Also, yeah. Into the Spider-Verse has one of the best end credits ever. Yes. Which I was begging for that character to show up in the movie. So when he didn't, I was like, oh, that's disappointing. Then he shows up in the end credits. Voiced by Oscar Isaac, of all people. Mm-hmm. I was like, Yes, please. So I said earlier from a story pitch for Into the Spider-Verse 2, I want that character kind of like Shattered Dimensions type of go back in time two miles and be like, we got to fix the future, my future. So we need all the Spider-Mans to save our reality, our future reality. Yeah. It, it could be really, really cool, man. I, I think... At the end of the day, and you and I can sit here and we're, we're going to sit here and talk about Homecoming in a second. Yeah, but, we are. Um, I just, I think the the whole the running theme of what it means to be Spider Man, that you know the journey that Miles goes on that throughout the film. Um, I think that just that was something I hadn't seen put that way ever. Of it's not just about being good to the neighborhood. It's not just about, you know, defeating villains. It's not about being a good person. It's about getting it back up every single time, no matter what. Yeah, it was just really, really well done. That whole message, though, I could echo for Homecoming big time. And as you can figure it out by now, my number one, and I'm assuming Josh's number two, yeah. Favorite Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man Homecoming. It wasn't initially. I loved it when I first saw it. An honorable mention to Spider-Man's appearance in Civil War. That really got me on the Spider-Man train. Uh, but Spider-Man Homecoming, it was the Spider-Man I never knew I was missing. But then I got it and I don't want anything else. Because yeah. it was the Spider-Man, and Josh and I have been saying all episode, it's the Spider-Man... I grew up on. I had a, a lot of the classic, um, like, omnibuses of the original Spider-Man stuff. I probably had, like, the first hundred issues of classic Spider-Man in, like, a black and white omnibus. I grew up with the old, like, 60s and 70s Spider-Man. The Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, very clean-cut, do-gooder Spider-Man nerd-type character. I grew up on that and the 90s cartoon. So, to me, Tom Holland was a perfect representation of that original Spider-Man. Of Tom Holland, he's a good-looking dude, but he's not Andrew Garfield. He's not cover of a magazine. He's very... He's normal. He's not unattractive, but he's a normal face in the crowd. And I love that that's an aspect of Peter Parker because he's a normal, everyday kid. He's relatable. You see yourself as that character. But also, more than any other Spider-Man, he's just fun to be around. A big part of Spider-Man's arsenal that's been missing for years is fun. When he 
is Spider-Man. He makes jokes with the uh, bad guys. My favorite line in the Far From Home trailer is when he webs everybody up. He's like, so you're going to be the new Iron Man? How, is, how am I going to do that? I'm too busy doing your job. Um, yeah. But when he yeah. says it, that's the big difference between him and Andrew Garfield for me. If Andrew Garfield tried it. When he tried it, he came across like a jerk. When he like webbed up the cop's gun, he's like, I just did half your job for you type of thing. Uh, when Peter yeah. jokes with cops, he's saying as like a co-worker as opposed to I'm doing your work for you type of thing. My thing with Tom Holland is he's just a good kid. But there's still that stark difference of he's just eh, stark difference. Well, there's no stark anymore. Ha. Spoiler alert. Of, um, there's a couple of big defining moments that right off the bat, I knew the people making Homecoming new Spider-Man, and knew what to do with him. And uh, the first, it was one I don't talk about as much as the second one, obviously. The first one is when he is going to the party, and he promised everyone, hey, Spider-Man will show up. And he's about to um, get his costume on. Then he sees some trouble off in the distance. And he has to decide in that moment, do I investigate what that loud explosion was, or do I seek the fame and glory? And then he decides to go after the explosion. It's just little decisions like that are why I love Spider-Man. It's that decision to be good all the time. And the core concept of Spider-Man of choosing between what's right and your own personal happiness, which seems to be a theme that's growing even more far from home, that's key to the character of Peter Parker, of balancing his responsibilities and balancing his schoolwork and wanting to be the hero. I love that um, the Spider-Man that we get in Far From Home isn't the fully realized Spider-Man yet. Of just like, mission, mission, mission. Give me all the missions. I want to help out. And you're like, you're not yet ready. But he's still, his heart's in the right place. He webs up the innocent person's bike. Uh, he stops the guy from getting into his own car. Um, yeah. It's just... It's the Peter Parker I always wanted. And the scene that I always go back to, because when it happened in the theater, I was like, oh, is this is this the thing that I've wanted? And that's when um, the building falls on him and he's just crushed. Because in that moment, it's not Spider-Man, it's Peter Parker. And in that moment, you're like, he's not a hero. He's a 15-year-old boy who's scared and afraid and thinks he's going to die. And... Thank goodness we didn't have the great, with great power comes great responsibility line coming from Tony Stark, but we had the, um, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it, which almost gives a reason for Iron Man 3 to actually exist. Um, but he has that great moment where he lifts the rubble, which that to me is the core of Spider-Man, of never giving up because that's ripped right out of a comic um, when Aunt May's in the hospital and Peter's trapped under a big um, machine that Doc Ock dropped on him. I think it was Doc Ock dropped on him. And he has to more or less, he spends like the whole issue under this rubble and has to decide if he's going to find the strength of himself to lift himself up. It's I could just rave on and on about Homecoming from the suit. I think Homecoming suits the best. Um, I do have some issues with Karen as an AI, but... I will reserve judgment because I think that's part of the long-term story that is going to play even more into Far From Home of, he keeps saying it in the trailers, the world needs a new Iron Man. No, we need a Spider-Man of, you can't be Iron Man Jr., which is part of my few gripes that I have with Homecoming is that he feels too much like Iron Man Jr. at times. 
But it's the training wheels protocol in more ways than one of he needs to learn to be Spider-Man. Yeah, it's... I I will say Homecoming was is a really, really, really close second. It's just I, I Spider-Verse is really good, too. It, it, that, that's the thing. And I think, if anything, I think you and I would agree that these movies are tied, really, for first. They're two of the currently the best Spider-Man movies we've ever had. Yes, and it seems like this Spider-Man is not going away anytime soon. There's rumors that I read that Marvel would like nine Spider-Man movies, three separate trilogies. Okay. High school, nice. college, adult. Yeah, no, I'm down. Um, and Holland's a perfect age to do something like that. So Yeah, he's he's made for long term because he's not even like 25 yet. Yeah, exactly. So it, it would totally work. And I mean, this movie did one thing, gave us one thing I never thought we would ever get. And that's the web wings. <laughs> I remember that. So like a week before... Homecoming, the first Homecoming trailer came out. I made a wish list video on the main YouTube channel of just like stuff I would like to see in a Spider-Man movie someday, uh, like a Venom Carnage triple threat match with Spider-Man Sinister Six. I actually said in the original version of my, the video, web wings, but then I cut it out because I was like, that's a little too unbelievable. I don't think that'll actually happen. And then I kicked myself when the trailer dropped next week with him web winging off the Washington Monument. I was like, Dang it! It's it. It really is the. I never thought that a that we would get it, or b that it would make sense. I felt the same way at the end of Civil War with the spider signal. That oh, I don't yeah. think I've ever cheered louder at a post-credit scene in my entire life than the spider signal. Because that's an element from the comics that I was always like, that's too hokey to put in a movie. So when he flashes on the ceiling, I lost it of, okay, this is a new Spider-Man. And nowadays, I feel like nothing's off limits with Spider-Man, really, in terms of, yeah, maybe someday we will get a Kraven the Hunter. Maybe we will get a good symbiote movie with a better symbiote suit. We probably will get a Sinister Six. Yeah, like everything. Actually, like the sky feels like the limit. I mean, they did an uh, did it an already by using the uh, by using Vulture as their kind of like uh, debut villain. So yeah, like, we can make Vulture work. We can make anything work. Mysterio yeah, seems man. to really be working. Early Buzz is Mysterio's great. So I am excited about the future of Spider Man, and with Tom Holland more than any other, it's just Spider Man was a huge part of my childhood growing up. He will always be, even more than Batman or Nightwing, Spider-Man will be the one that is closest to my heart. So seeing something that special to me with Tom Holland Spider-Man is just so cool to see. And I I just really appreciate the MCU for what they've they've more or less have saved Spider-Man from yeah. a lot of mishandling. They really have. And it, it could have been a lot worse. But I mean, that's the thing, though. And the the I think one of my favorite scenes, and I think we've talked about this before, is uh, the scene where he finds out the girl he's taking to the dance, his dad, is played by Vulture. Which also, as a comic book fan, never saw that coming. But I was okay with the change because it was great in the moment. It was it was it was fantastic. It made you actually like, like uh oh. 
Well, and a part of it too is you kind of realize like that these guys that are doing terrible things also have families and there's a chance that their families have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Anything else you got to throw out there or else I'm good to bring it home? No, not really. I think we've, we've kind of talked about all, all of the movies pretty, pretty well at, at length. And I think it's, even if we didn't number them off, I think it's fairly obvious which ones we really, really enjoy and which ones we do not. Um, if you, uh, obviously I'm always going to recommend anybody find the Drake Bell, uh, show if you can and, and watch it. It's, it's fantastic, especially the first couple seasons. Um, and if you haven't played the game yet, by all means, like play it all the way through. If nothing else, just watch the yeah video. Um, I'll leave you with this last question and we'll wrap it up, Josh. Um, I always liked the stories when Spider-Man worked together with other people, like the team-up issues. In future movies, is there any particular pairing or team-up that you would like to see Spider-Man do? Um, I think I would enjoy, especially if, with Peter and, and Mary Jane getting closer, I think I would enjoy a, introducing Black Cat. Um, not as a romantic yet, but just as someone to cause some tension. Um, I think, uh, whenever he gets introduced, I'm going human torch. Yeah, I was thinking, I was going to say human torch. Uh, I think that would be fun. It would be interesting how they would swing a Deadpool Spider-Man team up. I would be interested in it but not as spider-man has to be rated r yeah um i, I, I don't think that need that's the direction I think that it needs to go kind of an out of left field pick but they they have interactions already spider-man and dr strange i'd be down i actually part of me would be down for spider-man to team up with uh with falcon and bucky yeah that'd be cool because he that's- first interacted with them i like weirder spider-man stories of like Things that are kind of out of the norm at times. So I think Doctor Strange could be a really cool fit. But Human Torch, they're buddies. That's always going to be the top of my list. And I still exactly. think Spider-Man is your back door in the Fantastic Four. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if, you know, if they, they finish this trilogy as him in high school and they introduce Human Torch as his buddy in, uh, when in he's college. in college. Mm. That, that, age, that age is, I think, better for Human Torch than something older or younger. Yeah. Call it now. Next Spider-Man is called Spider-Man Graduation. Yeah, totally. Well, I think that'll about do it for us this week. Uh, what are your favorite Spider-Man movies? How would you rank them? Are you more of a Maguire person? Are you more of a Holland person? Are you like Josh and you're more of a Garfield person? Let us know in the comments below. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's Apple uh, Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Play, or on YouTube. And if you haven't already, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.